Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. This is Sarah's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. Driving cross-country with two young children is ambitious, to say the least. Then our check engine light came on. We pulled into O'Reilly Auto Parts and they tested it. Turned out it was a faulty sensor. They referred us to a great mechanic just down the street, and we were back on the road in no time. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Wilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, my visionary friends. Thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing evolutionary solution to today's unique challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll consider lockdown stress eating, and addictions. There are many hidden effects of the pandemic that were not obvious at first. Among those is an increase in addictions and overdoses. Dr. Nora D. Vocal, the director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, stated, we do not have nationwide data to capture the full impact of COVID-19 and its related societal effects on overdose deaths, but some indicators show troubling increases associated with it. In thinking of addiction, we often link it with drugs and alcohol. However, due to the lockdown, there are hidden addictions on the rise that we may not recognize. While addiction may primarily be viewed as a mental problem, there are multiple physical factors involved as well. As we've been coping with the stress and uncertainty caused by COVID-19 and the resulting isolation, many of us have taken to increased stress eating or comfort foods. The foods people tend to crave in these situations are very often processed or fried foods laden with sugar, salt, saturated fats, and refined carbohydrates. These types of food provide a temporary high. 
They also destabilize blood sugar, increase inflammation, and deplete the brain of essential neurotransmitters, creating biochemical deficits. These deficits lead to anxiety, depression, and sleep problems, all of which have been linked to increased risk of drug use. With us this hour to discuss the nature of addictions and new methods of beating them is Joseph Isley, author of Leaving Drug and Alcohol Addictions for Good. He's the co-founder and clinical director of Inner Balance Health Center in Loveland, Colorado, a holistic treatment center established in 1999 for individuals battling drug and alcohol addiction. Isley is a pioneer in the use of biochemical restoration, the missing link he discovered during his own journey to sobriety more than 35 years ago. He holds state and national certificates as an alcohol and drug therapist and receives specialized training in interventionalists from the Johnson Institute. His website, innerbalancehealthcenter.com. Joseph, on behalf of our listeners and myself, so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thank you, Rilda. Glad to be here. So what's your educational background? Well, for the last, um, I'll say, 38 years, I've been uh, working on certifications to... uh, the state certified, nationally certified addiction specialist. Mm-hmm. How did you become involved in working with addictions? Well, that's my long story, Wilden. That's a, 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 what the book is really about is uh, my journey through addictions into recovery and then into what I call today full recovery. A lot of pitfalls and problems along the way. Uh, and then that's uh, my writer's journey as a, a family person through addictions and then her son through a, a, an addiction. So that's about, that's how I got into it um, years ago when I, um, I, I don't know if you're interested in the beginning. Is that something you'd like to know about? Well, we might go back there, but for now okay. that sure gives us a background. Sure. You're the co-founder of Inner Balance Healthcare Center. Tell us a little about your center and how it differs from the others out there. Well, we're um, what we call holistic, and when we use the word holistic, what we mean is that we treat the damage done by addiction to the mind, the body, the spirit, and the environment. All four of those have to fully recover um, in order to beat this illness. Um, I started, uh, I've been treating addictions for about 38 years. Uh, The first part of that, I was a traditional uh, treatment center and outpatient program, but because of my own journey, um, I was wondering why traditional treatment center has such a poor success rate and 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 then decided to get into this holistic approach about 21 years ago Um, and our specialty is what I call biochemical restoration and that is our doctors look we do a lot of lab work blood urine saliva we're looking for a lot of the things that cause depression anxiety sleep problems mood swings racing thoughts and then we find these we correct everything naturally the only drug we usually use, well, we use drugs for detox, uh, especially alcohol, but um, the only other drug we might use is if it's a thyroid issue, but mostly the supplementation and nutrients you use are very safe but very powerful in bringing the body back to a healthy state. Have, have you noticed an increase in addictions during the pandemic at your clinic? Absolutely, yes. Um, We've, we've seen the pe- more people coming in, and we see people coming in with a lot more. Uh, uh, right now, we're seeing people a lot more opiates coming in. Um, alcohol has usually always been the predominant uh, chemical of choice, but we're seeing a lot more um, 
methamphetamines and opiate use. But yes, we're seeing an increase in the last year, definitely. Why do you think the opiates are more of a, a drug of choice, given what's going on, than the alcohol? Well, uh, a lot of it, I think, has, has been brought about by the crackdown, and rightfully so, but the crackdown on the use of prescription opiates. And uh, a lot of people were on um, prescriptions from their physician. They may have been abusing it, but maybe not enough to be noticed. But then as they've cracked down and it's harder and harder to get these drugs, people are now turning to, 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 to more drugs like heroin, things like that. And, uh, and that causes, a, since they're not regulated, to say, uh, they're, they're a lot more problematic and a lot easier to lose control of and get out of control. Absolutely. Yeah, I would imagine. So what do you think is driving this upsurge um, of addictions during, during the pandemic? Well, my own opinion is um, what I believe it takes to have a quality life, to have a meaningful life. We have to have balance in our life. And I've broken it down to four areas. We need love, work, worship, and play. Now, all of these, in order for a, a human being to have a quality life, we need to have a lot of strong, loving connections in our life with our family, with ourselves, be able to love ourselves, connection with our animals, our friends, nature, maybe a connection with a higher power. These connections uh, seem to be lost in this lockdown. Much harder to connect to be outdoors, to go to dinner. We don't socialize as much, and we're losing these connections. There's no doubt about it. And I think as we lose these connections, we're losing that balance that we need in our life. Love, work, worship, and play. It's harder to worship. It's harder to get out and play, to socialize. And I really think that's what's giving an uptake in all these problems that we're having. What about, you know, we've oftentimes we uh, on the on the downside, we tend to use work or play or this or that as a distraction from unprocessed issues that we might be carrying. Now that those distractions are not available to us, do you think this is driving some of it as well? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and these can get these can get out of balance because of a lockdown. And, and, I, and I know when any of these areas when I'm working too much or I'm playing too much, I'm not paying attention to these other areas to have a, a balance in my life. So, yeah, absolutely, I believe that. Yes. Do the foods we eat make us more susceptible to addiction? Well, they always have. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe even more so now because we, we, uh, we're at home. Uh, we're not out exercising. We kind of get out of our routine. And it's easier to eat these comfort foods, sugar, caffeine, uh, things that give us problems. And I, yeah, I believe that that does happen in this kind of situation. Yes. Mm -hmm. I know, I know one of my, my biggest problems as a youngster was sugar. I, I consumed way too much sugar. I can remember on my breakfast, my mother would give me a bowl of cereal and put in a teaspoon of sugar. And when she wasn't looking, I'd add four or five more teaspoons of that sugar. And when I got down to that milky goop, I'd swallow that down. And then I'd go to school and I'd end up in the nurse's room because I'd fall asleep in class. So, yeah, I think it can, it can, these foods can really get out of balance. Absolutely. If, like yourself and myself, by the way, um, we were fed a lot of sugars, we're young, do you, do you think that we're more susceptible as adults to that addiction? There's no doubt about it. There was a, and I can't remember the fellow's research that he did, 
And he, he, his insight was that the more sugar we got as youngsters, the more vulnerable we were for addictions because it sets up that, that, that craving for more of the sugar, that, that craving process that happens later on in addictions when, when we introduce ourselves to other mind-altering chemicals or other substances. Absolutely. So it seems like our minds never really, or our psyche never really had a chance to find balance if we started out that way. Absolutely, yes. I believe that. Yes. So what, what other foods are the most impactful with addictions? Well, um, and I, when you say addictions, there's a fine definition of what that means, crossing the line from use to abuse to addiction. Uh, you can start out consuming, say, sugar, when you start abusing it and taking too much, that can eventually push you across the line into an addiction. And there are different areas that we look at with, that would create that scenario of becoming, say, an addict, or sugar addict. Or a, some, some of the other foods that ca cause problems, uh, one of our doctors believes that uh, if you are sensitive um, uh, to grains and to um, um, the things that are in there, there's two types, I'll give you an idea for alcohol, there's two types of alcoholics, these theories out there now. One of them is an allergic addicted type, and the belief is that the person who, who runs into alcoholism is because they're, they're eating, they're drinking, there's too much grains in the alcohol, and they become allergic to the alcohol, and that sets up craving for more of the alcohol. When they consume more alcohol, they move into an addiction with the alcohol. Um, so that's like, like guilt by association? Yes, absolutely. Another okay. big one, our doctor believes gluten. If someone is gluten sensitive, she believes if you have one piece of bread and gluten, it'll take you about three weeks to get that processed out of your system. Now, I don't know. I haven't read anything about that, but that's her belief. So, yeah, some of these foods can definitely lead us to, to having more problems because they interfere with the brain function. They change the brain function, the way the brain works and operates. Well, you've, you've just described the average American diet for the last couple of generations. Yeah. How has this affected our addiction numbers as a nation over, over the last 50 years? Any clue? Well, I think as human beings, we're always looking for things to, to make us feel better. And if we keep it in moderation, it's fine. Drinking in moderation is okay. Eating healthy foods and, and maybe every once in a while having something, you know, it, it, it seems to be okay. But, um, but the more... But, but if you run if we, if you run into a problem because of genetics, or because you've got food allergies, or because you've got um, an MTHFR gene or transmitter balances, there's a lot of things that cause the brain and the body to become out of balance. The more it becomes out of balance, the more we're trying to compensate and fight find things to put it back in balance. And um, that's one of the, the one of the reasons I I loved. Uh, Coding. My mom, first drug I ever had was coding for a cough. I was a shy kid. My mind raced a lot. I couldn't sleep very much. I had night terrors. And when I, when my mother gave me that that syrup of coding cough syrup, I found peace in my mind probably for the first time. And then for 20 years, I was seeking more things to make me feel good because my brain and body were so out of balance. And then once you get into an addiction, it's called the merry-go-round of addiction. You may have started using, for whatever reason, social shyness because you're depressed because you're anxious but then when you start moving into the addiction now the addiction itself is causing problems and you're drinking or using to relieve those problems 
Well, we're going to have to take a break and pick up on the other side with this. Joseph and I will return shortly, so don't you folks go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas. To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called micro laser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about lockdown furthering addictions? Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled, Why is all this happening? The world is a web of interrelated processes. RG shares, I was blown away by all the amazing information about the science behind it, the interconnectedness of everything. Thanks, RG. Shelley was a wealth of information as to why we're currently experiencing multiple simultaneous upheavals. Curious, dear audience, visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled, Why is All of This Happening?, and let us know what you think. With this is our discussing hidden aspects of addiction is Joseph Isley. His website, innerbalancedhealthcenter.com. Joseph, it, it comes to me, and, and of course I've, we've seen it, that also PTSD, which I think there's a lot more of it out there than we know about, is a, a real factor in addictions. Um, would you speak to that a little bit? Well, yeah, that's, and that's really a PTSD uh, is a, a form of trauma. And it, and it can come from a lot of different places. My own belief is someone who's been in an addiction for 20 years is suffering a lot of trauma. All the pain and the, the, the misery and the depression and the anxiety and the ruined relationships. There's probably no more um, thing on this planet that causes trauma than addictions. But there can be addictions, situational, you know, if someone's abused as a child uh soldiers coming back from war we see a lot of that with with soldiers it's just so there there can be a physical uh 
trauma. There can be emotional trauma, spiritual trauma, uh, different kinds of things that can cause a person, again, a person to become out of balance. Well, that sounds like a real, real, you're getting it from, from above and below. In other words, uh, you do have addictions because of PTSD, and PTSD yep. cause addictions. Yep. How can you start to break that up? Well, that, that's exactly what we work on at Inner Balance, because in order to somebody to, to heal, we have to treat the mind, the spirit, the emotions, and the environment, and the body. A lot of good treatment centers will address the mind and the spirit and the emotions, but I don't know of any other treatment center that does as good a job as, as Inner Balance at treating the body, the emotional. If you, if you leave that out, it's like a cog in a wheel. If you leave it out, that that's not going to wheel that, that wheel is not going to run very smoothly, and uh, so you have to treat the whole person. That's the meaning of holistic, and you have to treat the trauma, the emotional trauma, uh, if there's situational trauma like sexual abuse or physical abuse or any kind of trauma like that. You also have to treat that. So it's treating the whole person, not just one aspect of the person. It seems like PTSD is much more common than when one might think, given all the trauma in our, in our environments um, at this point. And then speak of a trauma, being in the middle of a pandemic, does that gear up uh, PTSD that might be hidden and add to, the, add to the equation? It can. And I don't know, Gilda, if, it's, if it's, uh, there's more of it going on today or it's just we're just more aware of it today. Clearly, people suffered trauma back in the older days, but... Uh, but we're coming, becoming more aware of it. It's be, we're, we're shining more light on it and, and looking at the, the problems and the consequences of untreated uh, trauma or, or PTSD. Uh, but yes, absolutely, this kind of situation. Again, you're isolating people. You're keeping, away, keeping them away from their loved ones or the things that they were doing before, maybe taking walks, maybe riding a bike, you know, maybe going to special concerts or doing the things that they felt involved in. And when you isolate anyone, that's what they did in concentration camps. They isolated people. And, uh, oh, yeah, it, it definitely comes out more because of something that's been going on like the, the pandemic. Yes. So perfect storm, isolate us and sit us in yep. front of a TV set with the news on. Absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. Couldn't be any worse, I don't think. <laughs> what age group seems to be the most impacted with addictions at this point? Well, in the last several years, we've definitely seen more and more young people struggling with addictions. Um, but, uh, and I, but I don't know that it, you know, it crosses all age groups. We see all, you know, from very young to very old coming through our center. Um, but the average age is probably in the, between 30 and 50. But again, we're seeing a lot of young people because uh, drugs are more prevalent. Um, I don't know if the social pressures are more, but yeah, we're seeing more young people struggle with. And there's not, to be honest with you, there's not a lot of good uh, treatment for young people under the age of 18 uh, for, for treatment for drug and alcohol addictions. How, how do you treat them differently? Is it just the, where the person, where the uh, center sets its age limit, or is there a different way of managing the younger people? It is a different way of managing them. They don't have the skills yet. It's hard for them to be in, in a, an adult population. Uh, emotionally, they're not mature. But when you, one of the things that you that cause what drug and alcohol does to individuals is it stunts their emotional development. When I started using drugs and alcohol at 14, I stopped using at 34. I had the emotional development of about an 18-year-old. 
So if you couple that with kids starting even a younger age, you know, they, they're not, a, it's very difficult for them to move in an adult population until they're at least around 18 or, or 19 because they have to be able to deal with their feelings. And most kids are really out of control a lot of times with their emotions. They don't know how to deal with anger. They don't know how to deal with frustration, disappointment, and rejection. So it's a harder population, definitely. We know as a mother and grandmother, um, aunt, all of those things, um, I've watched children when they, you know, come come Halloween or this or that, and they start getting into sugar. Oh my it God. seems to start this personality <laughs> torque to where they get angry and they want that sugar and they don't want yep. their dinner and they throw fits and, and they become extremely unbalanced. Now, yep. if this starts very young, does that impact our emotional development? Absolutely, yes. What happens is they become more and more dependent because what happens is it's those it's that sugar that gives them a feeling of well-being, a good feeling, a, a high, if you will. And the more they use that, and then if they move into drug and alcohol addiction, they start dealing, they don't, they're not dealing with life. They're, they're using their drugs and alcohol to deal with life. In other words, they're not being able to get in a relationship. I, I had, when I got sober, I didn't know how to be in a relationship. It scared me. I didn't know how to be close to people. I didn't know how to communicate with people because I never got that emotional development. I was always dependent on chemicals to get me through life. And that's what the problem with young people who get into... We, we see a lot of young people, say, at the age of 20, 21, too, and they're just... They, they, they can't deal with life. It's just really hard for them because they've lost some emotional development and spiritual development and mental development also. And it seems like, you know, it's such a battle with some of them um, because they're extremely addictive and become very reactionary. Parents just kind of throw up their hands and take them to McDonald's. Yes, yes. Um, I know that Sharon talks in her book what her experience was that parents don't, no more than they don't know how to deal with, with their kid getting into chemical use. They don't want to overreact. And usually they underreact. And and what she talks about in the book is that she wished she'd have been more of a snoop and getting involved in the kids' lives, looking what's on their website, looking at what they're doing. Because if you're not, you, you got to be a detective nowadays with these young people and really to make sure they're not moving into the area of using and abusing these chemicals. Well, there's so many hidden chemicals like we've been discussing yes. for, for the yep. entire episode here that, that mm -hmm. are pawned off as normal diets for kids. What, what can you tell us about diet, neurotransmitters, and biochemical def deficits? Well, definitely there's three, uh, there's two, three neurotransmitters that we look at. The, the, the serotonin for depression, the GABA receptor for anxiety, and the dopamine receptor. And that's a very important one when you're looking at opiate addiction because but the dopamine receptors is what gives us a sense of well-being. And, uh, and foods can, can change these receptors. They can, uh, they can alter them. Um, you, when, you, when you eat sugar, it is working in that serotonin receptor to give you a feeling of pleasure. And, uh, and again, if you're, if you're wired in a way, if you've got some other issues, let me give you an example. If you're a, a, a woman who goes through childbirth, and then after childbirth, you're depressed, you're anxious, you start eating more sugar to feel better, using more caffeine, because now your adrenal glands are getting exhausted, you need something for energy, so you start drinking more caffeine, maybe moving these energy drinks, you're starting, to, what you're doing is you're trying to find things that help make you feel better, you're just going down the wrong path, 
sugar, caffeine, uh, other foods that, that are problematic like that. And, and you're moving. And then a lot of times they'll transfer over to drinking and drinking more because now they've got these imbalances, neurotransmitter imbalances, adrenal exhaustion. Thyroid problems can cause very difficulty with an individual. Yeah, so it's all about trying to compensate. If you're feeling bad and not in balance physically or mentally or spiritually, you're going to gravitate. For I'll give you an example. Let's say you're in a car accident and you've got a broken leg. The ambulance takes you to the hospital, but the doctors don't fix the broken leg. They just give you opiates, so now you don't feel the pain, and they send you home. And then a month later, they're not going to give you any more opiates, but you're left with a broken leg. What are you going to do? You're going to start gravitating for other things to get the relief from the pain of that broken leg. So you're saying that emotional pain is no different. No different. Exactly. Right. Exactly. How can a person tell if they have biochemical deficits? Lab work. You can look at symptoms. You can, like if you've got, uh, I'll give you one example, a condition called uh, uh, hype, uh, I don't know which one is it, um, histamine. Histamine and a, his, a histamine is a chemical in the brain. If you have a condition called histidalia, you're creating too much histamine in the brain and you're causing your neurons to overfire, overfire. So difficulty slowing your mind down, difficulty sleeping, difficulty concentrating. A lot of these young kids got getting diagnosed with ADD and ADHD just have too much histamine in the brain. There are symptoms. And if you think of the Kennedy family, they've all had high histamine. The symptoms are high risk taking, high sex drive, high libido. Uh, drug and alcohol addiction is rampant through the Kennedy family. They've all had sex problems um, and, 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 and risk taking. One Kennedy killed skiing too fast, another one flying when he shouldn't have been. A lot of risk taking involved. And, and it's a basic, you just have so much histamine. And why, why do you gravitate through risky activities? Because risky activities slow your mind down and that feels good. You, you gravitate and you find alcohol slows the mind down. Opiates slow the mind down. One of the things I found out, because I had this today, I was a kid. I couldn't sleep very well. An hour or two a night, my mind raced a lot. And when I had that codeine, I felt peace. Well, I just found this out a couple of years ago as a codeine is the number one thing that will reduce histamine. So unbeknownst to me, my mother was giving me something that reduced my histamine and I could feel some peace in my mind. Well, obviously you don't want to use codeine or other drugs or alcohol to bring down histamine. We can bring down histamine very nicely with certain nutrients. So if we're, if we're um, say we're, we're in lockdown and we're suddenly at recognizing that, uh, you know, we might be, we might be changing our behavior here, and it's not helping. Um, what can we? What would be the first step to figure out if you're, um, if you need to get some assistance, and where would a person look? Well, that's a good question, Gilda. And, and the problem with that question is, especially when it relates to getting into drugs and alcohol, is if I start using something that starts making me feel better, I don't want to give it up. And I don't want you to get in my way of giving it up. I will fight the farther I go into addiction. Because, again, the more problems in my life, even if they're being caused by the addiction, my only solution is more the chemical. And I don't want to give that up. Try asking somebody who drinks three or four cups of coffee to stop drinking coffee. You will have a fight on your hands, I guarantee you. Because they know how they're going to feel when they stop. And the only solution they have is more the chemical. Now, yes, and with drugs and alcohol, I can, I can speak to this probably more 
better than any other thing, is that a person hits bottom one or two ways. Either they come to they come to recognition for by an intervention by a family member saying you're drinking too much, or a child saying, "Dad, you stink when you drink too much." Uh, or, we're going or people, to go we're ahead. going to need to pick up on okay. this, and it's a very important point. On the other side of yet another commercial break, Joseph sure. and I will return to our discussion shortly. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire leading-edge, information-packed past-episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. To find out more about me, Gwilda and the other things I offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. Our guest this hour is Joseph Isley. We're speaking about lockdown and addictions. His website, innerbalancedhealthcenter.com. Joseph, we were getting into a very important subject, and that's a person, if they're going to um, come out of addiction, if they're going to go into treatment and successfully come out of an addiction, they have to be motivated, don't they? To somewhat, yes. There's got to be a reason. And, I, and I'll go back to what I, they're going to hit bottom by one or two ways. They're going to, they're going to, some of the family's going to say you got a problem and they'll recognize that. And they may just be going in for the family, but that's okay. And then in treatment, they, they come to the bottom through an educational approach by edu- getting educated about the addiction, learning about it, understanding what was going on and the problems it's causing. The other way they get help is in hitting bottom is through enough pain. Unfortunately, with alcohol and drug addictions, it, it will take some pain uh, for a person to say, I'm tired of it, I want to give it up, and I need help. And hopefully a person doesn't hurt themselves or others before they come to one of those two places where they accept help. Now, they don't have to be jumping up and down about coming to get help, but they have, they have to have a willingness to want to try to, to work a program and go into treatment. How much do you see where a person's been brought up in a family that has drug and alcohol abuse um, that they normalize that and don't recognize that they're in trouble until too late? It, it, it becomes uh, just a part of their life if they're growing up with it. My parents drank a lot and socialized a lot. It was part of their life. They'd have friends over and friends would drink, and they'd get out of control a lot. They're always laughing, and giggling, and that kind of thing. So it was, it was just part of life, unfortunately. Yeah, that, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so in that case, a person would kind of have to re-examine what they thought was normal. Yeah, absolutely, yes, yes. The things they were doing weren't normal. The, even though my parents loved me, they didn't share that a lot because they came from an older generation. But I had to come to understand that that you know that this isn't normal. Spending that much time with alcohol and drugs, um, it was just not normal. It shouldn't be. It is unfortunately a lot of families. Right. Um, so you, you work with intervention. What is intervention exactly? Well, it just means something that comes in between the person and their chemical use. An intervention can be a lot of different things. It can be getting a DUI. 
again, it can be a, a, a son saying his father, you stink, you drink too much, dad, that can be an intervention. It can be, I like a soft intervention where I ask family members to ask their loved one to look at our video on our homepage. There's a couple of videos that help them understand there is a solution to their depression, their alcoholism, their drug addiction. And, uh, and a lot of times people will see that and say, well, this may not be too bad then. It's because everybody, most people have the idea of what treatment is, is I'm going to sit around in a group and talk about how horrible my life is, talk about feelings, and I don't want to do that. Well, that's not what our program's about. We don't do that. We don't do therapy in a group. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it, it, a lot of times we'll have people come in and they're reluctant and they, they say, I just don't want to be here. But after a few days, they fit in, they feel comfortable because we're respectful. We don't get in their face like the sub-programs do. Um, and we treat people as if they had cancer or heart disease. We treat them with love and respect, and they appreciate that. That's pretty much what you're dealing with is, is an illness, right? Exactly, yes. yes. So you you say you use natural means for biochemical restoration, right. and, and it does help with, with addictions. Now, you have, you're under a doctor's care. You have a doctor present, yes? We have a doctor, nurse, yes. Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely. A doctor oversees everything that goes on in our clinic, even though we're using very safe uh, nutrients that the doctor's in charge of that, yes. So they use all sorts of um, testing, blood tests and sort of A thing. lot of blood tests. I'll give you an example of one of the most prevalent that we're finding now in lab work. It's called the MTHFR gene, and uh, it's a methylation issue. Everybody, now Quest does that for 100 bucks. We'll check, they'll check the 1298 gene and the 677 gene. If you go on the Internet and look up a couple good websites, type in MTHFR 1298 gene, where you're going to find the symptoms or addictions, mood issues, mental health issues. What that means, that gene is what it does is, is it, it helps methyl, it helps folic acid, a nutrient that is very critical for the neurotransmitter functions, get into the brain. And if you have that gene, it's not doing its job. You're not getting any folic acid. And uh, even if you're taking a supplement or eating good uh, uh, vegetables to get folic acid, when we find that gene, and it's 40% and it's of our client have that gene, we can't fix it. We just give them a methylated form of folic acid, and now they don't need that gene to work. Another and, of course, gene, you, of course, your doctor does that and discerns that. Absolutely. Yeah. Another so how, how, long must a how, how long must a person be involved with biochemical restoration before seeing a substantial change? Uh, some people can feel a change within a few days. Um, other things like hormonal balancing takes longer because you have to retest after they've been on hormones for a while. You have to retest to see if their hormones are coming up to the right level because doctors usually like to start lower and increase as needed. And um, so that can take longer time. But when you give them, start giving them folic acid and it starts lighting up those neurotransmitters, they can see results very quickly, very quickly. And, and Will, the one thing I wanna make a point of, this isn't something that we've created. All the stuff we're doing is out there and it's been out, most of it's been out there for a long time. Hormonal imbalances, hypoglycemia, every client in the last 20 years, alcohol client who's come into our program has tested positive for hypoglycemia, mild, moderate, severe, or pre-diabetic. And that's been out for years, but, but unfortunately most treatment centers have not gone in this direction of biochemical restoration. Well, I'm glad that you folks are. It sounds like biochemical restoration would require many of us um, to really revamp our diet, which isn't yeah. easy. 
how how do you support that change for your clients? We get them, but they're they're not allowed. They don't. We don't use any sugar. We use things like stevia and other things that are more natural sweeteners. We don't that don't mess with the blood sugar. Uh, they they can't have coffee uh, while they're in the program, and and their diet is we we use only uh, all natural. Uh, organic when most possible, but natural and organic food three times a day. And then we educate them. Our classes, again, they're not therapy classes. They're educational classes. And they, they learn about diet. They learn about how important it is. And when we do the four-hour glucose tolerance test, a lot of them in that third and fourth hour, they feel like crap because their blood sugar is hitting the bottom. So they're also getting the personal experience of what happens when they're eating too much sugar and their blood sugar is going up and down. But now they're getting the education on how to fix that. So That's yeah, wonderful. So is are you a residential center or an outpatient? We're we're technically we're a we're a, a day program with residential accommodations. Right, we're in a we're in a little residential area, and we have a five star bed and breakfast that they can stay in. It's monitored all the time. Yes. Do you find that getting people away from their natural, you know, their ordinary environment helps at the beginning? It helps if they're under stress, if there's family problems at home, fighting and arguing, if life is just overwhelming to them, or they've been drinking or using quite a bit, and they just need to, they, they, they may be, they're hanging around with too many friends that drank, they've got to stop that for a while. So there's criteria. Now, they people can ses- successfully doing it, do it in an outpatient, but that's another thing that this virus has kind of put a cramp on it. So we had to stop, we had outpatient and intensive outpatient, because we couldn't have clients coming and going and mixing with the other clients, we had to shut that down until we get this pandemic under control. And isn't that the sad thing that we're seeing on so many levels is that, you know, because of the stress of the pandemic, we need more treatment. And because of the, the yeah. uh, um, it's so susceptible. I mean, you can catch it so easily, you get less. It's, it's, exactly. been, a, it's been a challenge, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what can a person expect to experience while they're first engaging in the biochemical restoration? You men- mentioned the you know blood sugar dropping and this and that, but just emotionally, what can a person expect? Well, the, the first, well, you when we're doing the biochemical restoration, uh, they're all connected. So it's really hard to separate the mind, the body, the emotions, because they all work together uh, to give a person harmony. And uh, when you're so when you're treating example, like a lot of people come in and they can't sleep and they're depressed, find out they have a thyroid problem. You give the the doctor increases, gives them some natural thyroid medication. And now they're uh, they're they're able to sleep more than an hour or two a night. They're getting more rest. They start to feel the depression lifting and they feel more warmth in their body. And now it's affecting their emotional state. Now they're feeling better emotionally. So it's all they're all interconnected. When you work on one, it affects the other. So when you're getting somebody out in nature, like our spiritual counselor, he takes them for a five-hour nature walk. They feel more peace. They feel more connected with nature. That affects them. their body also, affects their emotions and their spirit. So they're all interconnected. How does the, the nature piece fit in there? What, do you, what all do you think is going on? Well, the nature thing, what we're talking about is spiritual. Our spiritual, what we talk about spirituality is the thing that what gives meaning to a person's life are strong, loving connections with themselves, their family, friends, animals. And alcohol and drug addiction starts damaging and actually severing these loving connections. So we have a phenomenal spiritual counselor, and he takes them out in nature 
that five hour walking out there, he's saying, Mary, help me understand. What did you love when you were younger? Did you have, have a horse you loved? Did you love being out with your family or friends? And then what happened to those connections in your addiction? And then they talk about, well, I started isolating. I started fighting with my family. I didn't go out in nature. I got rid of my pony. And then when he comes back, he starts helping them understand how to reconnect spiritually, how to start getting love back in their life. And part of that is starting to make amends to the, the people, their family, that this illness has started to destroy their life, too. So there's a whole a lot of things spiritually. And then when they, he takes them out in nature, people seem, seem to open up more spiritually in nature. They feel more open in that environment. Do you think it's because of the balance that's inherent in nature that, that we've stepped out of? Yes, absolutely. Yes, going back to balance. Love, work, worship, and play. Play and worship can all be found in nature. So there's, there's a lot of absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I know you're not a doctor, and I'm not asking for right. a medical diagnosis here, but as, as a counselor, have you experienced where a lot of the light deprivation impacts addictions? Yeah, every year, at least here in Colorado, uh, when we change the time, the clocks change, and it's it's a lot darker earlier. Yeah, I think people experience. I've not even done any study on it, but yeah, right. I just wondered if you'd seen an upsurge in that because um, I I know there's a lot of indication that you know people get depression because of lack of light, Um, and and now we've now we're locked inside. Okay. And, um, and so we're even experiencing less balanced light um, while we're in lockdown. I wonder if that's impacting things as well. And if the more and the more depression you feel, the more you get out of balance, the more you're going to gravitate to things to make you feel better. Sugar, caffeine, alcohol, drugs. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's amazing how it slips up on us, this self-medication thing, isn't it? Absolutely. It, it, yes, people really don't recognize. I'll give you an example. I'm getting, I'm getting older. I'm 74, and I'm starting to gain a little weight. And I look down, wait a minute. I should be running more. I should be walking more. It creeps up on us before we know it. You know, the, it, And the problem is the, the, the slower, when somebody goes, and you can get into addiction fast for some of these designer drugs. Alcohol usually takes longer to get into an addiction than some of these, like meth or crack or something like that. But, but once you get into it, it's very subtle because you don't recognize it at first, and it slowly creeps up on you. And, but by the time you recognize it, you're now using these chemicals to relieve the pain, and that's hard to give them up. But then they create as much pain as they're eliminating, ultimately, don't they? Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. yes. Um, we're just about to go into another commercial break, but I would also like to talk about um, the impact that maybe not being able to see each other's faces has on, on people at large. Because I've certainly noticed I'll, you know, go to the, the post office and I'll be all masked up and yep. the people around me will be. And you pass people, you don't even recognize them that you know. And how much is that playing into our isolation? So on the other side of this commercial break, we'll look at that aspect. But we do need to take a break. Joseph and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us at info at missionevolution.org. To find out more about me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the other things I offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Joseph Isley, his website, innerbalancehealthcenter.com. Joseph, we're about to go into the other aspect of, of isolating, and that's, you know, wearing masks. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of masks. I really feel that the science is behind it, and I think it's the thing to do. However, it is impacting us some. Have you had any um, of, your, of your clients there at the center indicate that it's a difficulty for them? Absolutely. They hate wearing masks. They don't like it. They can't see each other. And our counselors, they reported too, because a big part of, of working individually with clients is, is noticing their facial expressions, whether they're sad or happy or smiling. And absolutely, you use, lose that when you're wearing a mask. And yes, we have to do it, but it's a pain in the, you know what. So it's kind of adding to our isolation, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And again, I want to make a point that it's not to say that masks aren't the thing to do. I really, right. I really believe that they are. But it, it's, it's. Right. I think something that we need to look at is where all are we being impacted, and how can we compensate so that we don't go into such depression. Um, I've taken to waving at people. <laughs> I mean, it might seem simple, but. <laughs> mhm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, how does your success rate at your clinic compare with similar clinics? Well, do not engage the biochemical restoration. Yeah, and when anybody asks, I get that question a lot, and, and no treatment center out there that I've been able to find can give a legitimate answer because in order to get a good uh, gauge of the success, you have to get an outside entity, spend a lot of money. Not only do you have to get a consent from the client, but from their family or friends to be able to make sure in a year that they're telling the truth if they're still sober. So basically, what I say is we get a 65 to 70% success rate, and that is based on our life coach. They works with seven different counselors while they're in the program. One of them is a life coach, and they can stay connected up to a year with that life coach. So based on their self-reporting, how the clients are doing and are being connected with them after they leave, it gives us a, where we get that percentage. But uh, but don't believe it. Just like you shouldn't believe any treatment center that says they got a 90% or whatever. It's, it's just hard to, it's hard to gauge, but right. But one thing we are successful in, let's say we do have a, a 60, 70% success rate. That means 30% of our clients will relapse in that first year. If they're connected with the life coach, that life coach can help them get back on track, figure out what happened. There's two main reasons why we see relapses. One, they stop their supplements because they say, well, I couldn't afford them. I didn't know they're working. And then all of a sudden, slowly the depression comes back, the anxiety comes back and they reach for a drink, or they did not create a support system. Support systems are absolutely critical in recovery. That's where the 12-step communities come in or other. There's a lot of other women for sobriety, a lot of good support systems out there after a client leaves treatment. How about the um, friends and family aspect? It seems like particularly under long-term addiction, the, the associations that people have developed are around supporting the addiction rather than supporting them to break the addiction. How important is it to really look at uh, who you're associating with and change that? That's why we have a family program. It's, it's all Zoom now. It used to be in person, but it's Zoom. And the family uh, 
help is very critical, helping the family identify not only what's been going on in their addicted person's life around their addiction, but also, number one, how it's affected them and what patterns have they got into. One of the biggest patterns, and it's because of the consequences and, and, and the symptoms of addictions. The symptoms are anger, frustration, disappointment, stealing, cheating, lying. Uh, and, and so you develop this dysfunctional system and the family get just as functionally out of whack or out of balance as the addicted person. So the family needs help. It needs to be addressed. And we have a great family counselor. But, yeah, that's critical. Absolutely. You know, the in the native cultures, um, I mean, my original teacher was a, a Lakota elder. And he said if there's one person in the family ill, the entire family is ill. And if the entire family is ill, the tribe is ill as well. So being able to yeah. reach out and find, well, you were talking about balance again. So is there a way to reach further than just the immediate family? Uh, does a person have to kind of give up friends and, and develop a whole new or what do you do there? If their friends have been into drinking and socializing and just it's all around alcohol or drugs, yes, they've got to uh, they've got to step away from that for a while. I had to step away from it, and uh, as I've gained strength in my recovery and my sobriety, now alcohol is not an issue. Drugs aren't an issue. I can go to a bar if I want. I can be around. I play golf with like 20 of my buddies, and they drink, and all of most of them most of them don't overdo it. But it's it, it, that. That appeal is no longer, I hate that out of control feeling where I used to love it. I used to love what chemicals did for me. I don't like that anymore. So, yeah, we have to look at that. Yes. What do you suppose made the difference for you when you said, I used to love it, now I hate it? Uh, give you an example. I, I used to love opiates. I used to love pain medication. I got them from doctors. Doctors would write me prescriptions for all kinds of different drugs, for um, amphetamines, uh, I tell them I, I can't sleep. They'd give me uh, chlorhydrate sleeping pills. They'd give me Escatrol was a big one back then for being being up. I used to love those out of control feelings. Today I hate it. I don't like to be and like I've had two shoulder operations. I tell my doctor, my I, I said Garth, I don't want a bunch of I could I don't want thirty pills, and he he forgets and he gives me thirty pills and I give all of them but two to my wife because I don't want them around because I don't want to be tempted, but, but, but when I'm on them, I don't like that feeling anymore. I don't like that out-of-control feeling where I used to love it. Do you think yeah. it's because your brain chemistry has changed as a result of coming back into balance? Yes, absolutely. That's a good point. Absolutely true. Yes. I feel now, more isn't that normal. something to look forward to? <laughs> absolutely. And that, but that takes time, and that's why it's so hard for people to get off of drugs and alcohol, because their mind has been changed. And just because the worst thing you can do an alcoholic is get them to stop drinking. It's because then they're left with their brain chemistries all screwed up. They can't sleep. They're irritable. They're depressed. It takes time for the body to heal. That's why, that's why biochemical restoration brings that whole process in faster than if they just don't do it. Nat, you know, if they just let it go for weeks or months to try to let the body heal or the brain heal. We use phenomenal things to help the brain heal. So it's like... When a person tries to quit drinking or quit doing drugs on their own, if they're left with this this physical imbalance that drives them right back to it, then don't they suffer from the feelings of, of failure and that, feeling of out of control and a victim of it? And I know, and I'm not a doctor, and I want to go back to that part about the about the uh, the, the hospital. It's, it's like when you stop somebody from drinking, if you don't address all those other issues, they're going to feel the pain because you haven't fixed it. And they're going to want to gravitate to more chemicals or that what they know is a solution to fixing the pain, 
Now, the, the thing they're using has been causing the pain, but they don't have any other solution. Right. Have, have you found in, in your clinic that um, everyone pretty much requires a different combination of treatments? We're also individual? Yes, we are. And we, we, yes, we're very individual. And, uh, and, and they're, uh, biochemically, they all have different things going on. Some will have one or two things. Some will have five or six things. And then emotionally and spiritually, you have to address everybody. You take them as an individual to deal with them in that, in that approach, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and um, your team there, you have doctors and therapists and all sorts of tests and this and that. How do you discern what's best for each individual? Well, their lab test is, is we go on symptoms and lab tests. So the biochemical piece, the doctor and the medical team that look at their labs when they come in, they get a shotgun approach of supplements. They get a whole bunch because we're, we're assuming they haven't been eating well, their gut's not working, their brain's not working. So we give them several supplements we think will help overall. But then as these labs come back, the doctors look at it and they say, well, they need, they need more um, tryptophan or they need more glutamine for anxiety because of based on their labs. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing, the same thing when somebody comes in and they have a lot of support from their family their loving family versus somebody coming in who had a dysfunctional family. You got to push them more in a direction of sober living. So you, yeah, you do have to treat everybody differently as an individual as their needs require. You know, it occurs to me that a lot of this does start with our diet. Do we need clinics? Do we need clinics dedicated to working with food, you know, food addictions to help mitigate their leading into drug and alcohol addictions? Are there any of those? Well, you mentioned Native Americans. Native Americans has probably been the biggest population devastated by their diet. There was a study done a while back that they are extremely deficient in essential fatty acids. They used to get a lot of that from fish, but because they're on this horrible American diet that doesn't fit their needs, that's why there's alcoholism rampant in Native Americans. I have three friends who are Native Americans, and there, it has been and all and what they they need more. But one of the definite things they need is essential fatty acids, to bring their to get their brain balanced. So yeah, yeah, it's um, absolutely. And so you have to look at nationality as well as yes, blood type yes, when you're looking yes, at all this. Yes, absolutely. Yep. So, what's your vision for the future of treatment of addictions? That this approach, biochem, and there's been other people doing this, that not just us, but not a lot, that this gets more and more into mainstream uh, addiction treatment centers. Because if you look at treatment for the last 80 years, the only mode of treatment has been talk therapy, talk therapy. Talk therapy cannot heal hypoglycemia. Talk therapy cannot fix a, a thyroid problem. It can't fix a genetic problem. So the more and more in diet, the diet. Some of these treatment centers, the diet. I asked a big one down in Arizona. What do you do? You, do you give your clients sugar? Oh yes, we do. It's a comfort food. Well, they can't be doing that. If 80 percent or 90 percent of their clients have hypoglycemia, you're perpetuating hypoglycemia. So my hope is this book, and, and will we'll, other treatment centers will start taking this and moving it into their programs. Well, you know, again, treating the whole person is so important. Uh, we see that in so many, so many different, different ways and diff- different avenues. And um, so, as we start treating the whole person, we we bring things back into balance. Are you seeing that balance holding? And and I'm, maybe I missed your question. Holding. Okay, that as balance is a moving target. 
Yes. Um, yes. Do you teach skills to help people recognize when they're getting out of balance and how to self-correct? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is where I, I got this from a wonderful good friend of mine, a doctor friend, Barry Burns. He's passed away, but his he had a wonderful life. I asked him, Barry, how do you have such a good life? He said, Joe, I have to work on keeping my life in balance. Love, work, worship, and play were his four things he worked on. Now, an addiction will just totally mess that whole whole scenario up. Um, they're not being with loved ones. They're not worshiping. They're not going out. So, yes, we have to get them back in balance, teaching them to create love in their life, to start working at what they love, to start worshiping, and, uh, and, and, and those are the things we work on. Absolutely. Balance is critical. So how can people find your clinic and your book? Uh, the book is called Leaving Drug and Alcohol Addictions for Good, Joseph Isley, E-I-S-E-L-E, and uh, our, treat, our program is Interbalance, one word, interbalancehealthcenter.com in Loveland, Colorado. Our phone number is 800-900-2252. Fantastic. Now, do you, you have, you've been starting working distance with Zoom and stuff as well. So are you going to expand that? Uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people expanding into doing distance work where they didn't do it before as a result of the, the lockdown. Well, our, our family program is all Zoom. Uh, we're moving into, we're looking at trying to move into doing more of the treatment on Zoom, but there's some obstacles that we're up against of right course, now. Sarah. Well, um, Joseph, I just hope we can get back, but thank you. Yeah, thank, we're out of time, unfortunately. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it, and thank you a lot. Mm-hmm. Our guest this hour has been Joseph Isley. Joseph is the author of Leaving Drugs and Alcohol Addictions for Good and the co-founder and clinical director of Inner Balance Health Center. His website, innerbalancehealthcenter.com. Remember, our entire information pack, past episode collection, is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xnbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world.